Many of you know that I was raised in a deeply devout Christian home, and I loved it. I love the Christian life, and I embrace the Christian faith with all of my heart and my mind and my body at every step of the way until I became a teenager. And then I began to wander away. And so by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I was living a double life. On the one hand, I went to church and I stayed committed to the Christian community and I prayed and I read my Bible every morning and I believed. But on the other hand, in a number of different ways, I stepped away from Christian behavior. I stopped behaving like a Christian, and I was a hypocrite. I was giving myself over to ways of living in my speech, my behavior, ways of living that were definitely not Christian. By the end of my junior year in high school, I was deep into this double life. One way at church, one way around my family, in a different way, with my friends outside of church and on the weekends. And then my church hired a new youth minister. His name was Robert Shaw. And through his kindness and his excellent Bible teaching and his contagious, passionate commitment to Jesus, I was confronted lovingly, but definitely confronted with my hypocrisy. And I began to struggle with exactly which way of life was I going to go all in on. And one weekend, it all came to a head. I wanted both. I wanted Jesus Christ. I wanted to love him. I wanted to be a Christian. But I also wanted to keep doing the things I was enjoying that Jesus clearly said were sin. I was divided, deeply divided. And, and I was afraid because if I changed, I was changing and my friends weren't. We had all agreed to this life we were living together. These things we were doing on the weekend, these ways we talked, the stories we told, the stuff we watched and listened to. We all had agreed on this kind of, this is the pattern of behavior that we do. And I was about to opt out of it. The priorities we shared. For me to be deeply devoted to Jesus, that was a change, and it wasn't a change my friends were considering doing. And if I came back to fully embracing the Christian faith, I couldn't keep hanging out with them. Now, not because they would be mean to me, but I would be a drag. Like, we just didn't do stuff together that I could do anymore. And so if I really committed to God and to his way of life... There were the kind of things that we did together that somebody whose first loyalty is to Jesus and the way of life rooted in Jesus and the community that living with Jesus embodies. So I was afraid. I was afraid of what it would look like for me to no longer have this group of friends and this girl I was dating and all of that. So like I said, it all came to a head one weekend. My youth minister was encouraging me to go all in with Jesus. And I remember standing at the back door of my house late one night. Our youth group had done something. He brought me home. And I remember saying to him, but I will be all alone. And he said, yep. Like, that really is the choice in front of you. And he walked off, and I went to bed, and then a couple of days later on a weekend, 
um, I was struggling with the cost of it all. And in the middle of the night, so I've told this story several times, I woke up nauseous. And I'm not a very good sick person. Um, I'm so weak. I wake up nauseous. And for me, vomiting is traumatic. It's like an amputation without anesthesia. Uh, some of you are like some of my children. They can vomit and be like, yep, that's done. I'm good. Let's move on. They've never missed the toilet. I don't know if I've ever made it to it. You know, it's just. So there I was. My mouth was watering. I, the worst thing in the world that could happen to me is happening. I'm, I'm about to lose it all. And suddenly I do. Now I make it to the toilet. We're at a friend's house at this point, my family. And so I make it to the toilet at their house. And as I'm doing the deed, a verse of scripture I'd memorized as a child, un, un, like with no power of my own, it comes back to me. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. So because you're lukewarm, because you're neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. So as I'm <clears throat> spewing, I'm thinking of this verse, and I'm thinking that I've been like trying to decide if I'm going to be for Jesus or not. And so in between that action, as soon as I could get my breath and, uh, and like do a thing other than what I'm doing, I recommit my life to Jesus. <laughs> I cry out to him, and I said, okay, I'm sorry. I repent. I will stop living a double life. I will stop living with a split allegiance, and I will give you my whole heart, mind, body, and soul. Um, with single-minded devotion, loyalty, and it stopped. The nauseousness went away. I finished. I went back to bed, and I thought, whoa, that's good, and then about 30 minutes later, I wake back up. My mouth is watering. I'm nauseous, and the whole conversation begins again. I run to the throne room and talk to the king, and as I'm kneeling, and um, in between, the verse is coming into my mind, and I'm saying back to God, I repent. I'm sorry. I will live a fully devoted life to you. And then it stops, and nauseousness goes away. I go back to bed, and it keeps happening all through the night. And eventually, in my cries, I say to God, I give you my friends. I give you this relationship with this girl I'm dating. And I give you all of the anger in my heart against my brother. Because my brother and I were brothers. And by this point in my life, enough of brotherliness had built up that it was a big deal in my life. Now, I'm taking so much time to tell this very personal story because this is our passage of Scripture. If you have your Bible, find it. James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. The very last verses in this letter that, that we started on, you know, a year ago and kept getting interrupted... And the last thing James, who's the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus, the church has gone through persecution and it's spread out all over Asia Minor, and the leader of the church writes to all the churches, and the last thing he says to them is James chapter 5, verses 19, and it's this stark reality. People wander from the faith, and it is very serious, and we must take responsibility to bring them back. Those are the three things he says. People wonder. It's very serious. And we must take responsibility to bring them back. And there are, there are all kinds of ways this plays out differently in different people's lives. I've just told you the way it played out in my life. Now, if you have your Bible, look at James chapter 5, verse 19. My brothers, 
If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I've noticed over the years and throughout the Bible and throughout friendships and being a pastor that, like I said, people wander for different reasons, and they wander in different ways. I wondered, ultimately, because I was really curious about experiences that being a Christian set as off-limits. Throughout the letter of James, though, we see there's other reasons for wandering. All over James's letter, we've seen that some people, their faith leaks out of them because of what he calls the trials of life. This is the suffering, the relentless wear and tear of long-term serious health issues. That's a trial of life that just can erode your faith, whether it's physical health or mental health. Some people wonder in James's letter because of financial troubles, just ongoing financial difficulties, or the ongoing pain of a broken relationship with somebody that really matters to you, a child, a parent, a friend, a coworker, or the longing, the deep longing for a relationship that you just can't have, or things that have happened in the past and have left deep and long-term scars. And as these difficulties just kind of persist over the months and the years, some people just grow tired of trying to respond and act like a Christian, and they wake up one day, and they've wandered away, 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 and now they're just kind of neutral about it. Other people I've known, their mind changes with regard to Christianity because they begin to struggle with the supernatural parts of Christianity, and at the end of the day, they don't seem very plausible in our world today. They just become unbelievable. Sometimes it's the rules, all the thou shalt not stuff. It just begins to feel burdensome and old-fashioned and so wrong. And the typical modern secular approach of being true to yourself and escaping any constraints that, are, that others are putting on you, it just begins to feel much truer and much like kinder. I mean, at the end of the day, a full-orbed, robust, devout Christianity is just really out of step where most people are in our city today. And so many of the smart people in our city, so many of the people who 500 years ago would have become priests and ministers and rabbis or psychologists or social... Today they've become psychologists and social workers and professors, people who might have once run a mission... Today, they go to work for NGOs instead. And what I mean is the intelligentsia of our city and of our, our country is deeply secular, where it once would have been deeply Christian or at least deeply religious. And so it can get really tiring trying to live as a Christian in a society where the cool kids, the power players, the smart people are not down with it. It gets tiring to be out of step with others, and this wears people down. Some people I know have left the Christian faith because the church has failed spectacularly, miserably, with the scandals and the harshness. And for some people I've known, wandering away from Jesus is largely about none of that. It's about unanswered prayer. One of my good friends 
one of the most committed Christians I've ever known. After a few decades of praying for a person, and nothing happened, just walked right away. It wore her down. And others I know, it's been about friendships like me. You have two sets of friends. One is Christian and the other is not. And the other is just regular. And it's so easy to be around them. And as time goes by, weekend camping trips and work shifts on Sunday, it just all adds up. And you end up going to church on Easter. There's a thousand paths to wander down away from the truth of the gospel found in Jesus Christ, from the way of life rooted in Jesus Christ, and from the community that embodies that way of life. Now, did you notice I just listed three things? Because at the end of James' letter, when he says wonders from the truth, it's a big, thick word for him. He spent the whole letter defining it in these three dimensions. This phrase, wonders from the truth, here at the end of the letter, it means those three things. It means the truth of the gospel found in Jesus Christ. And it means the truth of the way of life rooted in Jesus Christ. And it finally means the truth of the community that embodies Jesus Christ. And so the wandering can happen like it did for me, away from the way of life. I was holding the belief and I was holding the community. For some others, the wandering can be from the truth of the gospel in Jesus. This is when someone stops believing the great good news that in Jesus, the kingdom of God really has arrived. And through his death and resurrection, your only salvation is on offer and your sins can be forgiven. And you can walk through the door into the new creation. And others I've noticed over the course of the pandemic, it's the third one. It's this third aspect of truth, the community of the church, I've noticed that because of the lockdown, all of the changes we've had to make in our behavior and our patterns of gathering, there are people in our church who have just wandered away and Christianity doesn't work for them anymore after 18 months of not being with the community. And so some people getting out of the habits of worship on Sunday, which is the most important thing Christians do, worshiping together, and the pandemic has struck right at that. And so some people getting out of the habit of Sunday worship with the church together physically with the table, the bread, and the wine, and confessing our sins together and singing the praises of God together and hearing the word of God together and being together while we do these rituals and, and the spirit of God filling our worship such a long time of being out of this, the most fundamental activity that Christians do, well... When it's missing for so long, some people, the doubts and the disbelief and the struggles with the faith have grown bigger, and their grip on the faith has grown smaller, and we begin to think of the world in a, in a different way than the Christian way, and we wander from the faith. Now, notice, notice in James's last two letters how serious this is. Listen again, James chapter 5, verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's hardcore. There is so much at stake. This is really violently a matter of life and death. You see, to be a Christian is to have eternal life 
It's to have your sins forgiven. It's to be made right with the creator, with yourself, with one another, and with this amazing created world. To be a Christian is to be adopted into the family of God, to be an heir with Christ. To be a Christian is to have the hope of the resurrection that physical death will not be the end, but it will be a doorway. To be a Christian is to be guaranteed a new body when the world is renewed, a life fully physical in the new earth, in the new heavens and new earth. To be a Christian is to be chosen and washed, justified and forgiven, set apart and set free. It's to be redeemed and claimed and adopted and loved and made new and made alive, to be fed and served. You have the hope of the resurrection. You're an heir of eternal life. You are filled with the Spirit. And there are some children of the Father who walk away from it all. All of that. They abandon the Father. I don't mean to make this sound simple. It's not. There are some unfathomable mysteries here. But in one sense, this is a very simple issue. Some people who are grafted into the body of the Son of God and believe in Jesus for a time, they fall away and they simply fail to keep the faith. You believed and then you stopped believing. And for some, this is a slow journey. For others, it happens in a moment. Some moment, just it's over. For some, like Herman Melville, this soul-wrenching departure stretches out over the course of a whole lifetime. Yet fundamentally, the story is the same. You've betrayed your utterly faithful companion. You've left your utterly devoted husband. You've amputated yourself from the body of the Son of God. You've grieved the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God has departed. You were rescued from the gutter, but you prefer to return to the mud pit. There was a time when you heard the promises of God and received the kind gifts of God, and you kept faith for a time, but you've now fallen away. You've not kept on believing. You have not kept the faith. Wandering from the truth does not sneak up on people who are keeping faith. God is not in the business of cutting off sincere believers just for kicks. He's not the wanton boy who tortures flies for sport. He does not send faithful believers to hell at the last judgment. The Lord Jesus, he is kind and good and merciful to those who even have the smallest grain of faith. Those who enter the body of Christ in baptism and turn and trust and confess Jesus and seek him in his word and at his table and serve his people humbly and live in faithful fellowship with brothers and sisters and seek to produce the obedience of faith, they have nothing to fear. They're included within the group of people that Scripture tells us will never be separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And they are reassured, reassured that every time they hear the word of God addressed in his word and water and bread and in the wine, faithful believers will not discover on the day of judgment. That they were reprobate after all. God does not spring divorce on a faithful bride. But the Bible, 
is filled with stories. And you and I know just as many stories of, of our own friends and our own selves. It is full of stories of those who wander away. Fruitless branches are pruned from the vine. Stubborn sinners so grieve the spirit that he abandons them. So much is on the line. In baptism, adults and infants are pledged to Jesus, sealed by the Spirit as soldiers and slaves and sheep of God's pasture. The gift of baptism awakens faith, loyal allegiance to the one whose name we bear, to be adopted into his family, and then to go prodigal, to wonder, to be rescued from the devil, and then to surrender to him again is a tragedy. Why would a child betray a perfect father? What makes an organ rebel against its own body? This is to choose death, and it should provoke fear, but not despair. That's a hard one for our culture, isn't it? To hear me say it should provoke fear, all of us are like, wait a minute, he's on thin ice here, like fear... It should provoke fear, but it shouldn't provoke despair. Did you notice our passage alerts us not only to the deadly seriousness of wandering away from the creator of life, but also to the beautiful fact that no matter what you've done, there's always a way back. We can wander off and grieve the spirit by our sins and suffer the Lord's enmity for a time and then be brought back to our senses. It is possible also to grieve the spirit by our disloyalty, to obstinately refuse to come back home. And that ends in eternal death. But it is gloriously possible to turn back like the prodigal son, to come to our senses. And so we as a church must bear the responsibility for one another. That's where the passage ends. Whoever works up the courage to go and bring back, they should know what they, they are doing. Whatever reservations you may have about reaching out and seeking to bring someone back who's wandered from the faith, pick up your courage and go for it. With humility, and with wisdom and kindness, it needs to be done carefully. And with gentleness and self-examination, it must be done prayerfully and lovingly. And yet, it must be done. And the wonder of the gospel is that it can be done. It was done with me. He saved me from death. And he covered through that, a multitude of sins I would have committed. It may cause offense, even when done with care and great intentions and tremendous wisdom, but it's worth it. I, I, I'll close with this. I think part of our trouble, those of you who are wondering, I think part of our trouble is that wandering doesn't always feel risky when we're doing it. 
For me, it didn't. It felt like being on an adventure, exploring a little, getting off the beaten path. We don't always know we've made a mistake until it's too late. And we look back and we see that adventure was in fact folly. This is true for us spiritually too. Being double-minded does not feel dangerous. It feels like getting the best of both worlds. Like being relevant. Like enjoying all that life has to offer. And it seems even less dangerous when others around us are doing the same thing. We can't all be wrong, right? Yet it's all too easy for these unspoken rules to emerge in churches, in youth groups, in golfing groups, in circles of friends, indicating that a level of worldliness in certain situations is tolerable. What that level is varies from church to church, school to school, friendship to friendship. It might concern greed or materialism or gossip or lust or worry or any number of things which God tells us not to do but which the world around us celebrates. But however comfortable it might be, however comfortable it might feel, to wander from the truth is to wander towards death. It is spiritual suicide. The Christian faith is loyalty to King Jesus. Kill your ingratitude before it kills you. Resist the lust of the flesh and the eye and the pride of life. Forget the Egypt behind and stretch toward the glory ahead. Trust what God has declared about you and your baptism. Keep the faith. In baptism, we're pledged to God's side. Relying on the Spirit in faith, stay on His side. Let's pray.